are tuned in to New Stars with Neil Clark playing the up-and-coming artist first. Hear their stories before anyone else. Coming up on today's show. When we feel that we have lost our way, sometimes we just gotta stop and pray and just Award-nominated singer-songwriter, best remembered in the UK for her 1981 single "It's a Pleasure," released on Capitol Records. Welcome to the show, Sheree Brown. It's my pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, let's kick things off with where did your love for music start? Um, when I was in elementary school, actually, I, before elementary school, I always, as a little girl, used to love to. Uh, Sing, always love to sing. Would pretend like I was singing. Um, I'd look at myself in the reflection of the television. You know, the television, the TV is off and the uh, glass in front, you can see yourself. I would stand there and pretend like I had a microphone and, and start singing. <laughs> and that, that, I had to be in kindergarten or, or it must have been like four or five. Wow. Yeah, I just always had it in me. I just love to sing. So is that the same sort of age that you realized that singing and songwriting is what you wanted to do? Um, not professionally. So I wanted to be an attorney, a lawyer. So I said that I would be a sing, a singing lawyer. All right. And, and, um, but I was doing music and singing and writing. And within that period, I taught myself how to play the guitar and back at, at, uh, how I was 10 when I, I taught myself how to play the guitar. And with the help of a cousin who came and showed me how to tune up my guitar and how to follow a guitar chord book. And that's that was the beginning. And, and then when I was in the sixth grade, so that would make me 11, I started writing my own songs. And even in high school, I started, I, it, it, it progressed. My songs, some of the songs that I recorded on my first uh, album, I had started writing when I was in high school and and just out of high school. And um, but it was not until after I, my senior year in high school, I graduated and I had um, I had entered into this major talent show. And and it was similar to like American Idol before way before American Idol ever came along. But it, it didn't involve TV. And it was called the Battle of the Bands. And the finalists would perform at the Hollywood Bowl in Hollywood, California, which is major. And um, I performed. I, I competed. I, I, I went through the whole audition process. And once they accepted you from your audition, then they picked the top 20 in each category to uh, go to the semifinals. And out of the 20 in each category at the semifinals, they picked the top three finalists to go to the Hollywood Bowl. And I was one of the top three finalists. And I performed playing my guitar, two of my original songs with an orchestra playing behind me. And I won that competition. Wow. But before I knew that I was, before I knew I was the winner, there was something really magical that happened. It, it, it was like, as soon as I walked on the stage and sat down with my guitar, there was a hush in the audience, a hush. To this day, I remember how, how that, sounded and felt and i remember 
people who were at the competition in the audience came up to me afterwards and said, did you did you notice that hush? Everything got really quiet. I performed the song. They reacted to one of the, you know, I did this little lick together, 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 you know, and mm. they went. And I was like, well, I had never experienced anything like that. And that's when I knew that's what I wanted to do professionally. Bye bye, lawyer. Bye, attorney. I don't want to be a singing attorney anymore. This is my calling. And that it was that moment. The late Sarita Wright was in the audience. Um, she was a mentor. She mentored me a lot. She was like my big sister. And um, she had come come to me afterwards. And I had so many family and friends that were there at this competition that I won the award for selling the most tickets. <sighs> and, and but it was like but this is at the Hollywood Bowl. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the Hollywood Bowl. Yes. Yes, I uh, have. Yeah. It was so magical. And I remember my mom, my mom, uh, I'm the oldest of eight. And my mom and dad, there were 10 of us. And my dad worked and my mom stayed home and took care of us. And so we always were dressed really nice because my mom sewed. It was, you know, she would sew our clothes. Hmm. And I would, I was able to go and back then, you know, you don't hear anything like this now. This is like a blast for the past for sure. But, um, I would go to the, uh, fabric store and they would have what's called patterns and it was a picture on the front and you can pick the style and the design of whatever it was that you wanted to have sewn for you and so i would pick out and they would be they would be um modern and popular um designs so i would pick out the design and my mom would buy the pattern and then i would go and we would pick out the fabric and so she, I have this dress to this day, and I actually posted some pictures not too long ago of me at the Hollywood Bowl. And I have, it's, it's like a blue tie-dye-ish kind of um, dress with royal blue and a little dark blue and some white in it. And I still have that dress. I'm gonna, you know, I'm a, I think I'm gonna have to take it out and see if I can still get in it and do something <laughs> fun. That would really be fun. So, so yeah. describe, describe this hush that you you felt. <laughs> It was very spiritual, you know, it, it, it was so much of a hush. I mean, this was during the summer. It was around 4th of July out here. Now, 4th of July, it's gotten worse over the years, but people pop the firecrackers and the, and the fireworks, right? Mm. But up until, up to, to July uh, 4th, people start popping firecrackers before July 4th even gets here. Yeah. And so there was even a group, an odd, a group of, um, in the crowd, they actually were popping some firecrackers because what happens in the Hollywood Bowl, you have all the seats, you have the box seats, you have the seats, and then it goes up, up. Mm. There's a grass area where people actually will sit on the grass, mm-hmm. and and um, but it's further up. So I don't, you know, they were up there somewhere, but you could hear them, you know, making a lot of noise or popping firecrackers. And when I got on the stage and sat down with my guitar, all of it stopped immediately. And there was not one sound until they reacted to this one uh, lick that I sang in this song. And then after I finished, they went back to popping the fireworks. I mean, it wasn't fireworks, but firecrackers and, and, and making noise. And, and it was something that everybody noticed, but I noticed it. And, 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 and what I attributed it to is that people felt the love and the spirit of me going out to them. And sharing my music and blessing them because that's what I live for, you know, to, to, to not please myself, but to please others 
you know, I've been playing for so long. When I was in high school, I played everywhere. I, could, I took my guitar everywhere. And I played. And even before high school, I played at my cousin's birthday parties. Mm. And it wasn't that I was trying to show off or brag. It was that I enjoyed doing it. And they actually enjoyed hearing me. And so the more I could see that people enjoyed it, the more I wanted to do it. And and so that experience at the Hollywood Bowl was just confirmation that that was happening on a bigger scale because that was much bigger than, you know, singing at a park mm. or on the bus on the bus on the way to school for all of the kids that were, you know, all my peers at the time in high school, they'd be in the bus and I would take out my guitar and say, you guys want to you want to hear a song I just wrote last night? <laughs> I, would, I would write my music. I would write my music, my song at night, get up early, early in the morning to do my homework. That's just how much, you know, that didn't always work out to my benefit. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. You know, my, pardon me? I can imagine. Yeah. But, and you know, my parents were always on, on me about it, but they were always supportive, even so. So it, that's where, you know, that, that's where, you know, it was gra- I was grounded. And the thing that was very interesting and this, I imagine it happens on some level for the younger generation coming up with their peers and, um, the folks that they hang around their cliques. But when I was coming up and around that, you know, so right now we're talking about the middle 70, 74. It was 1974 when I won that battle of the bands at the Hollywood Bowl. And then, uh, later on that same year is when I met Patrice Russian. Someone had introduced me to her and one of my mentors used to be one of the original trombone players for Earth, Wind and Fire. And he was a neighbor of mine. And and so these were people that I was surrounded by. There were people mm. that were his friends and Patrice and we, we it would be in Patrice Russian and Dougal Chancellor, um, Josie James. Um, it just it was just us hanging out, being friends, Sarita. You know, when I was dating my husband, we went to a um uh, um, it, w- it was a summer, like a pool party at Sarita's house. And, and my husband, he, you know, his dad always told him, well, you know, musicians are into drugs and this and that and this and that. And he was telling somebody, you know, I, I went and, you know, it was a jam session. It was the late, late Ricky Lawson there and Patrice and Gerald Albright. I mean, these are people, um, uh, Freddie Washington Jr., Paul Jackson Jr. These were my friends, right? And so was this before they became renowned for their yes, artistry? Yes, yes, ex- yes. But Patrice, with the exception of, of, of Patrice and, and of course, Sarita, as I'm thinking, because Patrice, you know, she's a child prodigy. And so she already had an album or two out, I think it was Prestige. They were jazz albums. And um, but Gerald Albright, we were sharing recently, uh, you know, I went. To, to see him perform at his college that that he went to school in for for a performance that he had to do and I guess he was he must have gotten his degree in music I'm just assuming uh, thinking back right and so some of the folks were already doing sessions like like Alexander Thomas who I mentioned mm. um, and, and and they were just starting to come up and play you know and 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 it just was a, an incredible thing I knew. Um, Paul Jackson Jr. when he was a student at USC. Wow. And, and, uh, it just is just, you know, I think about how blessed I am with the people that I 
came up with the foundation that was formed at such an early age, people were like, well, how did that happen? Well, I don't know. It just happened, right? But I, I believe that it's who I am that attracted those people, put us in the same circles. It's my faith, yeah. you know, mm. very person. So You were chosen to be that person, wasn't you? I believe that, you know. I, I believe that. Because um, here's the interesting thing. When, um, when I was on Capitol Records, I went to um, England one time to do a promotional tour. I didn't perform. I wanted to perform, but um, they were not interested in paying for that. Whatever reason, I, you know, it was so long ago, but I did have the privilege of going out there and seeing it and hearing my music being played. Um, mm. And then, you know, you come back to the States, the States that there's, the music looks so different. The appreciation for music in my experience is so much bigger and better over where you all are than it is here. And that was my experience. And so when I lost my record deal with Capital, they didn't renew my contract. A whole new group of um, um, executives had come in, or there was one or two that had come in that had no relationship with me and had nothing to do with signing. And so when they went through their list, I was one of the ones that was cut. And that was a shocker. Um, you know, it was just a shocker. And for me and for people around me, and they were like, well, you know, you're going to get a record deal soon. And then, you know, I became a mom and just took time to be a mom and but still was writing and doing behind the scene kind of things. And then as they they mm -hmm. got older, they got um, reinvolved as a, as an artist, you know, uh, aggressively, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so what happened in 20 um, was it 2012 or 20, it was 20 somewhere between 2010 and 2011. Um, I had gotten invited back to do. I think it was um, O2. Um, I can't remember the, the title of it, but I opened up for the, the Valentine Brothers, Gene Carn, and, and the late Leon Ware. And people, when I was playing my music, they were singing my song. They knew all the mm. words. They knew <laughs> what it was. And I was so humbled. I was so humbled, Neil. It was like I've been asking God to for the, me to have a hit and recognition for 30 years and didn't even know it existed over here. Wow. And it just, it just gave me a new sense, a restored sense of um, belonging in the music industry, knowing that my music is still out there, knowing that I'm still on track on some level to accomplish my wish and my dream. And that is to, to help other people feel better through my music. And well, that, so, you know, well, that's exactly what we're going to do because there's so much we, we we're going to cover to, um, today and you've got such a long history in music that i want to take a little breather because your first song which i've chosen to play mm -hmm. is called beautiful girl and it's featuring naila porter sakari reed and glenn on float um, and myself so it's a duet it's it's a duet between um, Naila Porter and myself and then Sukari is playing the flute yes I want to um, play that song because it is an amazing song I really it's it's laid back it's chilled but it's foot tappy and <laughs> you've got the drums that click in and it's really is a fantastic song so i want to spin that now because i think these listeners are really gonna love this one all right <laughs> 
stars and i'm with sheree brown and um we just listened to beautiful girl 
Cherie, um, is there a meaning behind behind that song? Yes, yes, yes. So all of the music on this album is dedicated. Well, it's um, it's an honor of the women that tell the stories in a book that's going to be coming out in fall called Messages from the Spirit. And and each song is dedicated to a different woman and a different story. And they're all young adult women. They tell true uh, true stories of overcoming life challenges. And, and so my goal was to take those stories, create a song, produce a song um, that is that speaks to that woman's that young woman's story. Mm-hmm. And so um, when the thing that's very, it's very unique about this particular project, um, very different than my messages from the heart project, which had the same book and music and art dedicated to women's story, not young adult. This particular book takes it further where, where I'm actually featuring some of those young adult women who are telling their stories. They're actually singing in the song that is dedicated to their story. Mm. So about five years, six years ago, I approached Naila Porter, who is a fabulous singer and, and she's a writer also. And I said, you know what? I told, you know, we talked about the project. I shared it, shared it with her. And I said, I want to, I want to do a song where it's you and I giving some wisdom, sharing some wisdom to girls, teenagers, young women and young women. So, um, we came up with Beautiful Girl. Wow. And we went, the musicians, they're they're young adult. Most of them are, are um, it's really interesting. Most of the musicians on this uh, project come from USC School of Music, graduated from it. And ex, um, except for, for uh, one of the drummers went to Berkeley School of Music and the other drummer, I can't remember where he graduated. He went to a music school. Um, but... In this particular song, that's what we were going after, a message that would resound for everyone, mm. and especially little girls. And the, you know, we need that so much with all the things going on in the world, um, especially with folks of color and being a, a woman of color myself. That's really, really important. But it was also important to, to impart a message that transcends color, race, uh, culture, religion. And mm. and that's what I try to do with all of the music. So that's how how. Okay. And then we asked um, uh, Sukari Reed Glenn to um, you know be the guest flautist. She's awesome. She has a I, I can't. She has an EP out. Uh, I don't know the name of it. I can't remember the name of it. But to have another woman, you know, be involved musically was very symbolic for me. And so that so we have a music video out. And it is available on YouTube, and at the it's it's a tribute to Vice President Kamala Harris out here, mm-hmm. um, because very very end after the video is over, at the very tail end of it, there's a snippet of her, and and some whiz positive wisdom that she's giving to to girls, and so the official you know the official video which which I have not posted yet is exactly the same. It just doesn't have the clip at the end. But but I'm going to continue to share this particular version of it because, um, especially since this well because this is uh, Women's History Month. Why? Right, yeah. You know, but but the the there's a young man here. Here's another thing. Oh my gosh, 
so the the young man that directed and and filmed Beautiful Girl hmm. used to be in the choir that I directed uh, for 20 years at my church. He right. was a little, little kid, right? Mm-hmm. So now he's a young adult, and he did this video, and he's awesome, you know, awesome. And and so a number of the people that are involved in this project were children in the choir that I used to direct in my church. Wow. It's, it's, and they're all young adults now. And then my daughter's involved, and my son's involved. They're young adults. So the whole thing of this was bringing, up, bringing together my seasoned friends, Patrice Rush and Jim Gilstrap, um, Dwight Tribble, and, and along with uh, some upcoming artists and musicians that are young adults. And so this project was inspired by my young adult years, which has so much to do with my connection with you all over there because of the support that you gave uh, my albums. And those were albums that were released when I was a young adult. So it's come full circle and, and it's a collaboration of young adults and season, which is m- more symbolic to me. It's so special, you know, to be able to work with young folks and mentor them as I was mentored, but not only to mentor them, but to be inspired by them also with, you know, because of their gifts and their mm. talents. So it's not just a thing of me, okay, I'm going to help you. It is, it's, it, it's, um, being transparent. It's, it's legitimate, real appreciation for each other. And yeah. that feels really, really good. You, know? you are, uh, song of the year, um, uh, stellar award nominee and has received various ASCAP awards. You've worked with friends and fellow artists like Patricia Russian co-writing songs Haven't You Heard and Settle For My Love, along with Jeanne's, uh Groove Thang. You've also worked with another friend, which we've uh, covered uh, briefly, called um, the late Sarita Wright, where you co-wrote one of her dance hits, Dance For Me Children. Yeah. Now, a tragic loss to the music industry when she passed and mm-hmm. a talented female artist who also worked with Stevie Wonder too. Mm-hmm. Which was the best song you have ever co-written and why haven't you heard have you heard reason why that is is that was the first hit I was involved in co-writing so you know it, it was released by you know Patrice Russian and co-wrote it with her Charles Mims and Freddie Washington Jr. and and I can remember even if I hear the song on the radio now I get excited just as if it was in 19 I think we did it in 1978 around that time it was released and that I remember Patrice had given me a cassette and she had done a, a rough music track of it. And what she would do is she would come. She said, you know, I need some lyrics. I need some help with lyrics. Are you up for it? I said, sure. 
And you know, you'd hear her. You know, she would like hum the melody, right? And so I would listen to it in my car over and over and over again. And I would listen, I would listen to her voice. And I would say, what words are coming out of that voice, you know, her melody? And all of a sudden I can hear, and, and so that's, you know, that's how it, it, it came up. And, and it was a top 10 song. It still gets a lot of airplay. And the thing that's great about it is there are so many hits afterwards that have come out of that song. So like John Nay's groove thing used Haven't You Heard. And that made me a co-writer of a new version, a new song, groove thing. And so like that's my second one. Uh, about a week ago, I was in the supermarket here. And you know how they play the music. I don't know if they do it there, but here they play the music over the intercom. You can hear they have, you know, piped in music. And Jeanne came on. I'm, I'm in the store shopping with my mask. And I actually started dancing in the aisle, you know, because I can remember how I felt when that came out. And then, haven't you heard, Kirk Franklin used, haven't you heard, to create Looking For You, which was the stellar nominee. And... Uh, it was it was the top top number one gospel hit on Billboard chart for six months, and it made it to number three on the pop pop chart Billboard. And so um, that made me a, a co-writer of an, another version of a song that used a version of a song that came out in the mid seventies. And so that's the that's the that's the um, magic of music you know if it's timeless it's timeless and and that's one of the things that i'm seeing now is that my music is timeless and it's something you know the things that i've done in the past and it's something that i've i've wanted all my life you know as a child that's what i looked at you know as i grew up in high school and as as i did the battle of the bands at the hollywood bowl i looked at that and so this project this album took me about mm, four years three to four years and I just knew that this was an album that was extremely special I feel like this album is as good uh, as my first Capitol album my first two it has the same kind of magic um, that I can remember as a young adult and for it to come around and me to be including so many young adults and for it to be inspired by my young adult years and for me to honor young adults you know, it's it's awesome, and even even the the album and the book is dedicated to Stevie Wonder, uh, Dionne Warwick, and the late Minnie Riperton because as a young adult, they inspired me musically. When your life excels at a rapid rate into fame and fortune, did you ever lose contact with your old friends, or is friendship just as important now as it's always been? It's just as important because you know who your friends really are as time goes on. You know, there may have been times where I may not talk to them for a while, but you you talk and then it's it's like there never was any time that went by. Um, Patrice is is one of those folks. Jim Gilstrap is another one. Jim Gilstrap was introduced to me by the late Sarita Wright. And Jim is, you know, he did the song Swing Your Daddy, I understand, is a really big hit out there. And... um. 
but he's sung on everything with everyone. And, and so he mentored me. He, he helped give me some advice on sight reading for background session work. He gave me my first professional gig, you know, as a singer. He contracted me to come in and be one of the background singers for Donald Byrd and the Blackbirds, one of their albums. And, um, he was very instrumental in helping me with arrangements of my songs before I recorded my, my album on Capitol. And we used those rough versions that he recorded at his home. He had a home studio, he still does, um, as a basis or as a guide for the way some of the arrangements came out when we actually did the album, you know, and of course Patrice did arrangements. And so, you know, Patrice, I'm, you know, I can call her, she can call me. Same thing with Jim. Those are, are lasting. Yeah. It's, it's a good thing. So you, so as time goes by, you really know Mm. who your friends are, right? There are people that I was friends with and it kind of dropped off or we never talked, you know, maybe it doesn't even seem like we were ever friends, but, um, those that are, true um i appreciate more it seems that your music career just took off did you ever think that would ever be possible yes i did because one of the things my mom and my dad were very positive people especially my mom my mom and um i was surrounded by positive people for the most part my family, my extended family is a big, very big extended family. They were always very supportive of my music. And so I remember when I was in high school, somebody had approached me. Maybe it was just out of high school. And they said, you know, you're not going to make it in this business because do you realize how tough the competition is? And you have to know people to get out there. And I would say, you know, I'm going to make it. You watch. I'm going to make it. And, and, and my faith is such that I know the exact person I need to know to attract all the people I'm going to need to know to get out there. So I always believe that, you know, of, of affirming, you know, having positive affirmations, um, especially during times when I needed it. You know, coming up, I was bullied a lot, you know, in school because I was a really, really good student. And, um, and I came from a big family. And my parents, you know, didn't have the money to get me the um, the popular tennis shoes and clothing, the name brands. And but I, but we were always looking good, you know. And so people sometimes the kids would make fun of me and my dad was a little strict. So I wasn't able to do a lot of the things that some of my peers were able to do because he said, well, you're too young. You know, you don't need to go party and do this and that. So they'd make fun. But especially of me being a good student. They'd call me the teacher's pet. And I would go home crying, <clears throat> you know, and, and um, my mom would always say, you know, they're the ones with the problem. Just know that, you know, you're beautiful. And, um, you, you know, you know that you're wonderful, you know, that, and she would just affirm me. And so even during the, the days when I'd be depressed or down, I would just repeat that over and over, even if sometimes I didn't believe it, then it became a part of me. So I just, it's really something that someone, that you asked me that because I did not, I, I never doubted it 
It was like, this is my destiny. I'm going to do this. You watch. And the more people said I couldn't do it, the more determined I was. Well, let's take another break because I'm going to play your next song, which is Take a Walk with Love. Um, (laughs) It's a very soulful song grounding us to look around and see the wonderful things and to open our hearts. Is that the, the view you wanted to paint for your listeners on that song? Yes. And there, there's a story behind that for sure. Um, and it's captured a bit in the, um, so there's a music video out of, of that song that we just posted, uh, almost two weeks ago, um, on YouTube. And so the, um, there is an internationally renowned painter named Charles Bibbs and he's my favorite artist. And my husband and I, our home, the walls of our home are filled with paintings of Charles Bibbs. And I remember when we bought a second home, it was like, well, we need a, a bigger a, a home with bigger walls so that I can make sure I get all my Charles Bibbs paintings up. Right. And so about mm, almost three years ago, um, one of the songs that I wrote, I co-wrote the, the, this one song on, on this new album with Patrice Russian. And um, it 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 uh, that's another whole story, too. So I don't know if you want me to wait or, or tell you now, because it's. <laughs> We'll hold fire. We'll hold fire because I want people to listen to this song, uh, Take okay, a Walk. Take a okay, walk and then love. I'll tell you the story. Yeah, great. And then yeah. afterwards, we'll come back and then you can tell us that story. Here it is Take a Walk with Love.
So take a walk with love. I got together with um, two other young musicians that are involved with this project. And, and I said, you know, let's get together. Come on over to my house and, and let's just co-write a song. And so this drummer, a young drummer named Patrick Jarrett Jr., he brought his drum set over. And then Marcus Paul plays a lot of the horn. He plays all the, the, the horns, basically, on this album and did the horn arrangements. And then, you know, he sings, plays keyboard. He's very multi-talented. And, and um, you know, the arrangements were great. So we got together. You know, I have a piano here and I have my guitar. And, and Patrick just started playing this drum. And then I started playing my these chords. And so these chords, it's so easy for me to pick up my guitar and just create chords. It was like, oh, oh, yeah, that, oh, oh. So we said, okay, great. We have the basis of where we're going to start. So we just got together and we did the music track first before I had the melody or the lyrics. So about three, or, I was starting to tell you earlier, about three or four years ago, I'd gotten together with this Charles Bibbs. Mm-hmm. And Charles Bibbs did a cover. He painted a cover for Ramsey Lewis some years back. And so I was telling about this particular, another song. Um, and I was, he was saying, wow. He says, well, you know, I did this album cover for, for Ramsey Lewis. Why don't we create, why don't I do something for this album? And, and what he did is he, used a particular song. It wasn't Take a Walk with Love because that hadn't been created yet. And so for a whole year, we went back and forth, him sketching. And then it was like, okay, this artwork would be used for the album cover. It would be used for art in the book coming up, the forthcoming book. And so what would happen is I'd see these sketches and I'd have music and I'd be sending him music so he could hear. And so he did this painting. The painting is finished. It's called Love Is. And after I would let him hear snippets of the music, um, he was like, yeah, this is everything about love. That's what I think this painting should be about. Everything about love, because at first it was going to be something else. But then he started listening to the music. And so when he let me see what he had come up with, I started looking at the visuals in his painting. And that's what inspired the lyrics for this song. So if you look at the music video, you'll actually see snippets of his art piece. And then it'll be clear, you know, how I was inspired to come up with the lyrics that I came up with. And so when we put the when we put the album together, it just felt like that would be the natural thing, the natural opening song for the album, because to me, it encompasses everything that's on that on the album. And it is about about love. You know, some of it's a little bit, you know, I wrote it during a lot of some of the social um, injustices that were very uh, visible in the news. So some of that is influenced uh, in there, is an influence in there. But in spite of it, it's still a thing of that we can make something positive out of it. No matter how much hate there is, if we could just stick with the love, not that we should not do action that needs to be done, but if we still can love, even in the midst of the action that we need to do to combat the hate, this world be a better place. It's something that is universal for the world. 
And so that's what I feel about this project. And that's why I wanted to get out to as many people as possible. I want this to be the biggest success I've ever had to date, just because of the symbols that were so prevalent in inspiring the project, the negative stuff that was so prevalent to inspire the project, you know, um, being in the middle of the pandemic, there's no way that I could have known that we would be going through what we're going through right now in the world. Mm-hmm. But the music is so appropriate for what's going on on all different levels. And even though the book is about young adult women, the subjects and the themes are for everyone and every age, you know, and that's what I believe. And so the, the payoff for me is the confirmation that I'm getting uh, in regards to this project that, wow, you know, it's touching. It's, it's harder to get. And, and it's really interesting because I really wanted to infiltrate through the United in, into the United States. Um, and so the blessing is, is that is like the, the take a walk with love um, is doing so well. It's opened some doors here in the United States, you know, and also for, because this is um, women's history month, you know, being an old, being an older woman, um, it's just, it's another thing in the business, at least out here in the United States, um, being, you know, being a more seasoned woman, I'll say, <laughs> not older. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but, but it, it's, it's, it's more of a challenge unless you have already been, become established as a legend. So, um, because of, because of the themes of this album, people are paying more attention to the theme. And the the talents that are coming out of out of it, and the fact that you know there's a number of young young adults that are featured in 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 this album. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited, and, and that's one of the reasons why I went to um, I approached uh, uh, Ralph T about um, putting this album out because I've had such a great experience over there, and um, they did the first album, and I know more now. Um, with regards to doing some things independently from a major, major label, you know. Mm. And so we had the opportunity to sign with some other, you know, independent or or smaller distributors, but we decided, myself and my team decided that um, expansion felt right. And uh, so I'm excited. I'm really excited. I'm thankful to Ralph T and Richard Serling and, 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 and the UK audience. Now, you performed on your own as a one-woman show in Germany, Egypt, Israel, and Italy. You also co-wrote the First House of Blues schoolhouse tour uh, mm-hmm. program and performed it for over two years at the famed Hollywood House of Blues. You received an Emmy Award nomination for co-producing a public service announcement and music video, The Youth Against Violence. And you went on and expanded on the prevention of violence um, by co-writing a children's book called Zakanaka the Word with its inspired music CD, We Can Change the World. So tell us about that project. Well, my husband and I and a a friend that used to work uh, for Disney co-wrote this story. It's a huge, it's a big children's book. And the theme 
is uh, about a little girl who gets bullied at school and, you know, they pull her hair, they tear up her homework. And then her favorite teacher, Mr. Jesse, shows up and and asks what's wrong. So she tells tells him what happened. So then he tells the story um, about the people in Zimbabwe and how there was a storyteller named Mze who um, told a story how young how people were um, captured and made slaves, not because of who they were, but because basically the color of their skin, but how their hope kept them strong and they were eventually able to break their chains and fly away to freedom, which mm. is kind of the theme along with the, a story called The People Who Could Fly. And um, and so the little girl became so encouraged by that story that she said, OK, I'm ready to go back to class. And so the thing is, so so the little girl and, and Mr. Jesse is a you know, they're they're a little girl and a, and a teacher of color. And these and, and so the name of the person who did the who co-wrote with my my husband is Douglas Johnson, senior. And then um, P. Showed Hunt is the one who co-wrote the book, but he also did the illustrations and they're so beautiful they um they uh look like a a disney movie and so first we were just targeting zero to Mm three-year-olds then it was fifth up to fifth grade then it was up to eighth grade then it was up to 12 then you know i did something at a, a college and then i did an alumni at a college and it got to a point where everyone loved the book and and people were ordering the book and they were saying, this is such a great piece. It'll stay on my table and my grandkids could come. They can't take this book. They can read it at my house or let me read it to them. And then, of course, the kids see it and they love it and it comes with a DVD. I narrate it, which is something we're probably going to do. We're going to make the, the DVD available. It's me narrating the story and the and the, the text, the words of the story. It's just 10 minutes long. Right. And then there's animation and there's music and and um. Patrice Russian's playing keyboards on a few things. They're singing. It's really a nice piece. So what we started out just targeting kids is for all ages. So I've been all over the United States um, with this. And so what it targets, um, it focuses on literacy, self-esteem, and anti-bullying. And so what happens with it, it, it crosses all barriers because everyone's been bullied in some kind of way and we're still mm. being bullied. So just call it something different, yeah. you know? And so, um, that's a really successful thing. We, we created music. So there's a separate CD that, you know, you can get and you can, I have a website, uh, www.real, R-E-A-L, Sherry Brown, Sherry, S-H-E-R, one R, E-E, Brown, B-R-O, WN.com. So, um, in fact, the new website will be up, uh, tomorrow by, t- should be by tomorrow. And you can actually go online and, and, and find out more and how you can get it. But that was, so, so that was a part of me giving back. And we've done it for, uh, across the board as far as cultures go. And I've done it at colleges and high schools, junior high, elementary, even have done it for teachers and parents. So what happens, I do a performance and it's, and, and it's, um, we're talking, it's, it's interactive on, and, and I just change it a little bit depending on what the age group is, but not much. Cause even as the adults, I've, when I'm doing it for adults, it becomes very, very, 
um, effective because as adults, we, we remember um, back to when we were bullied, like when we were, when you and I were talking a, a moment ago, something triggered, something you asked triggered me to think back to mm. and share about when I was bullied, you know? And so that's what that's about. Let's take another break and okay. play the next song being Get Up Stand featuring oh. Rosalind Smith, Sean Moore and Marcus Paul. Is there a yeah. story behind that? Yes. Yes, there is a story to every song on this album. Oh my gosh, and wow, that's one of my favorites. Yes. Should we play the song first and you give us a story after? Have a that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's spin it. Over and over, so we just stay. 
So we're in the recording studio. It's the drummer Patrick, Jared Jr., on keyboards, Marcus Pettit, bass and guitar, electric guitar. Um, and I think we were, he started off with the bass because then he added the electric guitar later, but Michael McTaggart and I'm on my acoustic guitar and a percussionist named, um, Edward Cartwright Jr. And so we are, we, this particular session, we were doing three different songs, three to four different songs. And so at the end of this one song, this was the last song of the day, I believe. And, um, Marcus was in there. He wasn't playing. Marcus Paul, he was listening because he was going to be doing the, the horn arrangement on it. So we're just, we finished the song and all of a sudden we're just jamming. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is, uh, we were just jamming. We must have played, we must have played at least for six minutes. And so what happens, uh, Steve Barry Cohen, who, um, is one of the co-producers and writers and on this project and Rangers. And he's the engineer for the project. He, what is sometimes will happen is if somebody is playing grooving, he'll record what's being played and not let people know he's recording. Now I know that's a technique of his, but no one else knew. So it just felt so good. It was such a groove and I was just making so much noise and jumping out of my chair. And so we listened to it. I listened to it back and I said, you know, something has to be done with this because this is phenomenal. I don't know how I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to study it and make this happen. And so, you know, because what happens is that there was no structure to the song because it was just out there. We were just playing, you know, spontaneously, however, it's organic, you know, so. And not only that, but because we were just grooving, there were a lot of errors musically, you know, <laughs> wrong notes hit. And because we didn't have a chart or anything, because we weren't we weren't recording something that was charted, a music chart. So I must have spent three weeks straight just listening to it over and over and over again and seeing how it could speak. How could I create a verse? Without there being musically a structured verse, how can I, how could I, um, create a chorus, a hook? How could I create a, a bridge section? This musically has no structure. So I listened to it. I listened to the groove. So I said, what could I come up melodically, melody wise? And what could I come up with lyrically to create the structure as opposed to it coming from chords in the chart, a music chart. And so I just listened over and over and over and over again. And I came up with a melody and I came up with the verse and the bridge. And so I approached um, Sean Moore, um, Rosalind Smith, myself, and Marcus Paul. And I said, well, we're going to do this. You do this, you take this verse, Sean, and, and I'll do this verse. I'll start it out and and then Rosalind, you take this verse. And then we brought Marcus Paul in at the very end. I thought it would be nice to have a male voice in there. So after we came up with, well, and then that's when I came up with the theme of it, you know, and it, and, and it was based around something that was going on in here in the United States that was, uh, had to do with social justice issues. And it was actually 
um, there was, I think it was after, um, the George Floyd uh, murder here. And there was, uh, and there was protest and it was by a lot of young folks and it was about a lot of young folks all over the world. Not about, but it was from Mm -hmm. the, the protest happening with those folks. All ages, but there were so many young folks and it was very, very encouraging because I felt like, wow, we're going to be okay because this, the youth is our future, right? And so I decided to make it be a part of that, you know, and then, then I thought of the stories, uh, of the women and which story would I apply this to, you know, and so it's like, you gotta get up. You know, you're right. You get knocked down. You gotta get up. You gotta stand. You gotta stand for what's right. You got to stand. You know, it, it has a very um, religious connotation for, you know, from the gospel world. You know, there's there's songs that are talking about, you know, when things are rough, you just stand and wait on the Lord or wait on God, that kind of a thing. So it's got a lot of different avenues and elements to it. And so then we were doing the background. And so I said, well, you know, I want it to be like a gospel flavor with the background, you know, and so that's how that came up. But that bass that comes out of that song, it's funny because the way the song starts, it's like it almost you could almost say it sounds clipped, but it's not. Because when we did, I said, no, we got to have that bass right there. It has to start out of nowhere, just like that. And, and then people love it. And I love it. It's just, you know, you know, wow, I love it. I love that song. And that's how it came up. Now, you've been very inspiring, not just today, but in throughout your music career in your writing your singing and now the book now where can we get hold we can get hold of the um the messages from the heart book and your music from your website that you just gave us realsherrybrown.com yes the book you can but you know what um expansion released the the, the uh cd for it i'm yeah so you can and they're reissuing it so that, you know, in conjunction with this project. So you can go on and get get the album from iTunes. Do you know what? It's It's been a pleasure having you on my show. And um, I really do wish you all the very best for the future products uh, that you're taking part in. And look forward to welcoming you back on the show in the very near future to catch up with you. But the time has not been on our side, Sherry. It hasn't been on our side. And it's come to an end. And um, I'm sure everyone is now thinking, oh, damn it. And I'm (laughs) sorry. I'm sorry about that. But the time. (laughs) <laughs> the time, the sands of time has just whistled by, as Why people were saying fun, earlier on. Um, but I'm going to play out with your last song called uh, We Can Make It, and it's featuring Patrice Williams, a song about uh, making it the way you want it. She and I, co- we're, we're doing a duet, so both of us are singing on it, but yes. But it's it's a very soulful song, love, dedication, and it's very relatable. It leaves me one last thing to say, Sherry Brown, and that is you are a new star and um, you really <laughs> are. You. And even though, even though you are a, um, a star that's already been in the making, um, but you are really shining brighter than possibly ever, ever before. And I want to help celebrate that with you, Thank you so for having much. you on my show. And it leaves me one last thing and to say that you are a new star and Everyone can catch up with uh, with you, Sherry Brown, on, on my podcast and um, all my other guests that have uh, come along, dropped by. And um, they're at t- tinyurl.com 
forward slash new stars show that stars with a z um join me next time when i'll be chatting to another new star and i wonder who it will be mm. so for my guest sherry brown and myself neil clark goodbye Don't have to understand me Cause I love you Oh you So love me For me It's nicer that way It's nicer that way I like it that way Let's make it that way Let's make it that way And grow